This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space, the show that's devoted to subjects that are hard to talk about because they make us feel vulnerable, afraid, ashamed, or just so uncomfortable. And yet they're subjects that so many of us have a lot of feelings about. Tonight is part of a series that I'm doing on failure or coping with feelings of failure. And my guest is Richard Schwartz. We're going to be talking tonight about divorce. Dick is a developer of internal family systems therapy, a new collaborative approach to psychotherapy. Prior to this, he trained and taught for many years as a family therapist and authored a major textbook in family therapy. He later went on to develop his own form of therapy and has offered several more books on the subject. His most recent book is called You Are the One That You've Been Waiting For. So welcome to Safe Space, Dick. Thank you, Aaron. So glad to have you. I, I want to just say it's so brave to be willing to speak in a series about feeling coping with feeling of failure and divorce. I just want to acknowledge the vulnerability yeah. of doing this. Well, I, uh, I'm happy to do it. I put a lot of thought into it. And uh, uh, at this point in my life, I don't feel like I have a whole lot to hide. So, Well, thank you. I appreciate your generosity. I want to start by just asking you to tell the story of what happened with your divorce. The actual circumstances around the divorce or the whole story? Well, maybe just the divorce. You know, we're going to be focusing today mostly on your own inner experience and how you worked with yourself around it, but it might help to just give us a quick story of what happened. Okay, well, um, my ex-wife and I had uh, been thinking about divorce for some time for a variety of reasons, and... uh, like so many people, wanted to wait until the kids had left the house and and tried to do that <clears throat> and didn't quite make it. Um, I had open-heart surgery about six and a half years ago, and it was a kind of wake-up call for both of us, I think, and uh, uh, for a variety of reasons that I won't go into in detail now, but we both decided to do it shortly after the surgery to mm-hmm. separate anyway. And then uh, the divorce came some years later, partly because uh, <clears throat> uh, after the, my heart surgery, this is apropos of the debate now, it'd be very tough for me to get health insurance. So mm. I could stay on her health insurance for a while if we stayed married. And she was very generous and willing to allow that while we were separated but uh, uh, so the divorce was about two and a half years ago we separated for about four years mm-hmm. and so you had hoped to uh, you know spare the kids in some ways the kind of back and forth living arrangements of having two separate households yeah at that point there was only one still home my youngest daughter who was 15 at the time and uh I think not only spare the shuttling, but also just spare the turmoil. I mean, I think think there is something to waiting until the kids are gone if you can, uh, if if you don't live in tension otherwise. And uh, that's a hard thing for many, though, isn't it? To to make it to not live in tension. Yeah, yeah, and that was true for us. I mean, there was chronic conflict and. it was uh it was it was 
just really, I, <clears throat> really a toxic environment. I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of my heart problems were related to it. So uh, it just became clear that life's too short, and right. Um, and yet, I had part. There are parts of me that, as you say, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a cold. Uh, felt like I would be a. Not only would I personally be a failure, but I'd be seen as a tremendous failure since I have relatively high profile in the psychotherapy world, and and uh, it doesn't look that good for the leader of a big approach to therapy to not be able to, to work out his relationship. Yeah. So tell me a little bit. How did you how did you struggle with that inside? How did you how did you come to make a decision in the face of that? Well, I think had it not been for the heart thing, I probably would still be married and, and uh, just uh, <clears throat> both out of the fear of being seen as a failure, but also the fear of being alone. That that had been a driving force in my life for a long time and uh, was part of the reason that, that uh, my ex-wife and I hooked up in the beginning. Mm-hmm. which uh, um, I think was related to parts of me that felt kind of worthless. And so if I would go for long periods without much contact with anybody, uh, those parts would start to get more and more upset. And so I just I just uh, didn't want to have to experience that. Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense. So... How did you, you know, I know that the form of therapy that you went on to develop is a lot about working internally with those precise kind of parts, the parts that feel worthless. Did you, maybe you could tell me more about how did you work with those parts of yourself and did doing so help you with that fear of being alone? Yeah, it it was a slow process, but uh, coming out of the marriage, I kind of vowed to myself that I wouldn't jump into some other relationship just to get away from that feeling. Uh, Because I knew that as long as I had those feelings of worthlessness, I I wouldn't be satisfied with anybody, even if they felt like the perfect match for me. How does that work? How How does having a feeling of worthlessness make you not satisfied with somebody else? Well, as I... I felt so bad about myself, then anybody who would love me or would be really attracted to me couldn't be that great. Oh, right. And right. at some point, it's sort of that, that Groucho Marx line of, I wouldn't join a club that would, right. would have me as a member. Right, right. So, uh, so I, <clears throat> at least I knew that that was a, a factor. Yeah. Because there was a tremendous drive to, to find somebody to take me out of the, the pain of being alone. Yes. Um, but uh, I knew I would just inflict all that onto them. So, so I, it took a long time before I could actually clean out a lot of that stuff. And how did I do it? Um, <clears throat> mainly by trying to go to the parts that feel that way and, and uh, help them trust that, that I care about them and that... Uh, and let them 
show me what happened to make them feel so bad in the past. And does that work? Um, pretty much, yeah. I feel a lot, I feel a lot less of that at the moment, and mm-hmm. I feel like uh, the relationship I'm in now has a chance because I I don't have this chronic sense that uh, she's not good enough and I better keep my eye out for somebody else, which is what I felt in other relationships. Uh-huh. Right. It's striking, though, how much that is connected. So the worthlessness is sort of contagious. It's not just about yourself, but it becomes It's a little hard to that. hear you, Anne. So the worthlessness ends up being almost contagious. You know, it's not just about yourself. It ends up infecting the person that you might be with. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Exactly. So... So you have this way that you kind of go inside and you find this part of you that feels worthless uh-huh. and you you ask it to show you what happened. And, um, you know, I know some there are many schools of therapy now that really don't advocate going into the past. They're all about working with your thoughts in the present and so on. And um, I'd love to hear you comment about that, about the, the value to you of doing that work, of going into the past and... and how you began to experience that shifting things? Well, I, I used to be one of those kinds of therapists. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, I was a, what they would call a structural family therapist. And the belief was that you could reorganize families in the way they interacted in the present, and you didn't have to, to dwell on the past. And, uh, uh, and, you know, I think that's true in some situations that, for people that haven't been hurt very badly. But uh, what happens is we all, most of us, come out of our childhoods with heavy doses of of uh, pain and humiliation and rejection and what the field calls attachment injuries. Maybe and, you could just explain what that is. Uh, it's uh, the feeling that your caretaker didn't really care for one reason or another and as a result there are parts of most of us that that have this chronic sense of worthlessness and because we don't want to feel that we tend to try and stay away from all that inside and so those parts of us get locked up and they get exiled in us in, in ways that uh that aren't healthy for them or for us. And we spend a lot of our, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of our time and energy trying to stay away from those feelings. And uh, often when we're trying to find a relationship, we're really trying to find somebody to tell us we're not worthless, to counter those parts, which is what I was doing. Right, and initially it often seems to work. Yeah, I mean, there's a kind of, infatuation and euphoria because you found this person who who seems to think you're great but uh, as I was saying earlier that that's fleeting because that person can't really take care of those parts of you Uh, and at some point or another they'll fail and uh, at that point you're going to start to degrade them or look around or yeah. Right, feel betrayed or just incredibly disappointed. Yeah, feel betrayed, feel set up or just, you know, chronically 
low-grade dissatisfied. Right. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space. I'm talking to Dick Schwartz about divorce and working with feelings of failure. I want to come back now, Dick, to what you were saying about um, both the internal and external fears you had about divorce. Um, We've been talking mostly about your own feelings of worthlessness and how that affected it, but also... Here you are, you're a relatively prominent leader of a whole new approach to psychotherapy, and um, I, I wondered how, how did colleagues in the field treat you? Did you feel, did you have to struggle with feelings of failure when you actually went ahead with it? Well, I got less of that than I expected, at least overtly. Uh, there were a few times in workshops where people would say, when they learned I was divorced, would say things like, well, why should we listen to you if you can't do, do it either? Oh, and how would you respond to that? I, I would say, uh, you don't have to. I mean, <laughs> right. But I'm trying to do it right now. And, uh, you know, for me, relationships are big kind of schools. It's There are places for us to learn about ourselves and to learn to heal and uh, they bring up all the parts of us that that we need to heal and if we turn to those parts rather than turning to our partner to heal those parts and and find we can heal them ourselves then we've learned what we're here to learn and uh, and so relationships can be great that way they, your partner becomes what I call a, a tormentor with a hyphen between the tor and the mentor. Mm-hmm. So your partner is a teacher. By tormenting you, they, your partner teaches you what you need to heal. <laughs> and would you say that um, in your first marriage that, in fact, that happened? Was she your mentor? Well, she certainly brought, brought up all the parts I needed to heal. <laughs> but I wasn't inclined to really do it. Oh, you weren't? Not while I was married. Uh-huh. I mean, I did some of it, but uh, I <clears throat> I really had these other parts that just wanted me to blame her and and uh, focus on my work and you know there are a variety of ways of getting these worthless parts taken care of and and so work was a big one for me mm-hmm. and so that's part of what what led us apart. Right, I mean, you have you have a big work that you do. I know you travel a lot, you write a lot. Yeah, this whole model became a, a life mission and and uh, drew me away from the family in a big way. But that that was all greased by the need for constant feedback that I was valuable, and uh, which and then the more I would away, the more unhappy she would be, and so home wasn't so pleasant anyway, and, and I wasn't getting that many strokes from her, and, and, uh... Right, and then you'd go out and give talks, and people thought you were just the best thing ever. Yeah, exactly. So, right, how are you supposed to not want to keep doing that? Right. <clears throat> yeah, I'd, I'd go out and, and be like a god to many right. people, and I'd come home and be like, uh piece of shit. Right. So it was, it, it got to that point. Right. And, uh, 
Right. Who among us would want to spend more time at home? Right. <laughs> right. So you, so you acknowledge in a way, so it was hard for you to really want to go to those parts. Was it also that it became safer to do that once you were separated? I think so, yeah. There was so much conflict, and, and she was chronically angry with me. And, and so I, I spent a lot of time just feeling protected. Yes. Or trying to protect myself at home. Yes. I can imagine, too, though, for someone like you, that it's hard to find someone to help you do the work. Yeah, it was, because um, I, I wanted to do the work through my own model. And right. So I basically trained everybody that could do it. But, yes. Uh, that makes it a little complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So, but go ahead. I did find somebody who, who was... Uh, could handle, you know, being uh, my therapist and also having learned from me. Mm -hmm. What a great find. So um, now, here you are. I imagine you still go out on the road. People still treat you like a god. Is it, is it, and that fear of being alone, you know, how, how, um, how has that changed now that you're several years out from the divorce? Do you find that the drive to seek that kind of response from people um, is does does it lessen or not? Yeah, it's a lot less. Uh, you wouldn't know it from looking at my schedule, but <laughs> my motives for doing it are a lot different now. How would you say? Well, as I have done some of this healing, I I don't need the constant affirmation and accolades in the way that I did before, and I become much more clear that that this work isn't about me and I've been much I feel much clearer about my own my being a vessel for it which has been actually a big relief so my egos I mean the times where I get the accolades were great but I also was putting myself out there uh, with my work you know with my right. life's work for people to take shots at so uh, and there were a number of people that did and that would be devastating and so I don't get the same level of high from it, and I don't get the same level of low when people don't like it. And um, and a lot of that is is just because I I don't have these parts that are constantly craving, and uh, I still don't like being alone for long periods of time. Yeah. But uh, even that's different. It's it's more just I think more normal loneliness than. Uh, the sense of I'm a bad, I'm not worth anything. Nobody likes me. That would used to, used to make me uh, get very very agitated. Right, understandably. I uh, I want to ask you also a little bit more about your concern about your kids. I know for so many people going through divorce, that is a source of great pain for them. Um, and I wonder, you know, is it something that you feel like you've been able to share with your kids uh, in a way that feels right to you? To share, you mean uh, the even, circumstances? Even the, this process in, that you're telling me about, do you feel like they know that about you? Yeah, they do. I, I've, you know, I had heart-to-heart -heart talks with each of them around it, which were extraordinarily painful. Mm. Um, and I, I tried to be honest, and I was strongly encouraged by my ex-wife to be very honest about 
uh, my role in the divorce and and uh, in doing that, I talked a lot about the parts of me that I've been talking about this morning to them. And, uh, and one of my daughters was quite allied with my ex-wife. And so I've, I've done more work subsequently. I went to her therapist with her and have uh, had really uh, painful uh, heart-to-heart and uh, my heart-to-her rage yeah. <laughs> kind of uh, talks. And, and so things between she and I are much better now, but it's been a, lo- a long road, and, uh, and there, were, there were times where they didn't want to talk much, and, and each of them in different ways has, had, had kept a distance at different points. I can imagine for them, you know, they share you with so many people that that must be hard. Yeah, I think they're they're all kind of mixed about the model because at some level they they blame it for the divorce, but also they they see that it's valuable and they I think they feel that way about me too. I I think they some parts of them admire me and how I've committed myself to this and and uh, it was very moving because my I just had my 60th birthday, and my oldest daughter wrote something along those lines in the card. But I know that also uh, they blame the model for breaking us up and and my sort of uh, obsession with it. Right, it's such a painful thing to have a conflict. You know, we, we, we talk so much for moms about the work family balance or dilemma, and you really have it in a big way your passion for the work that you do is so great yeah Um, Yeah. I couldn't quite hear what you said I said you know we we think so much about the dilemma for for moms about balancing family and work and how difficult that is but really that's been such a dilemma clearly for you because your your passion for your work is so great yeah um, and I I do feel bad for the kids because I I did sort of leave the family and in uh not physically well some physically but all my energy went into this and and uh that wasn't the case when the older two were younger but it was the case with the third with the third one was and so I've done a lot of trying to repair all that for her too so maybe you could talk a little bit about repair in a minute. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space. I'm talking to Dick Schwartz about divorce and working with his own feelings of failure um, and worthlessness in that process. And I want to ask you more about repair, maybe even to tell us from within your model, from within your way of working, how do you think about repair? Well, <clears throat> when we're hurt, there are there are a lot of different parts that feel hurt and what they need both from ourselves and from the person that hurt us is to feel witnessed. And uh, so that, that simply means that they're able to express what it felt like and have me, in the case of my daughter's, 
listen and try to not be defensive and, and really hear how bad it was for him at the time. And that I've tried to do with each of them, and it's extraordinarily hard because, <clears throat> you know, these parts of them that were so hurt will say things that weren't true sometimes or exaggerate or or say it in a, in a particularly hurtful way. And so that would bring out the parts of me that that want to correct them and, and uh, you know, make the, the record straight and... Right, and defend yourself. Defend myself. And so that just totally negates their experience from the their parts' point of view. And uh, so that's partly with one of the daughters why I, we needed a therapist there, because uh, as she would go off in the way she did, I, I would find myself automatically defending, and, and fortunately it was a good therapist who was able to stop us both and calm it all down so so I was able I feel like to witness uh, things about it wasn't just around the divorce for her it was also around my uh, her feeling of being abandoned by me when I got the bug for the model and and uh, was able to then give her a heartfelt apology uh, with a lot of tears and and uh but it's, it's an extraordinarily painful experience. No kidding. You know, one of the things that strikes me is that they were each willing to let you to to be witnessed. I think so often in a repair, the pers- the injured party isn't willing to open themselves up that much, to let themselves be witnessed. Well, it took a while, especially for her. It took several years. And uh, it was also an odd feeling of, you know, I work with so many kids her age who whose fathers were assholes and uh, workaholics, and so to find myself in that... No kidding, you're one of the bad guys. <laughs> of being one of those fathers yes. wasn't, uh, wasn't comfortable. No kidding. You know, part of what's been emerging in this series I've been doing on coping with feelings of failure is ex- beginning to explore what some of the benefits of the experience of failure are, and... Um, and one of them that's been emerging is, is humility um, or a sense of our own limits. And I'm curious if you experienced that, if, this is, if there's been some way that um, there's been any benefit to you of seeing yourself, you know, in a humbled light in a way. Well, you know, I think it's, it's uh, related to what I was saying, that while I had all this worthlessness, I would have... Uh, parts of me that would try to protect me by by making me feel grandiose, like I'm so great and and uh, could be arrogant in certain situations and and uh, feel like I deserve better than my ex-wife and so on. And so, and <clears throat> you know, I know that was really hard for her too. And. Uh, so again, since I've done the work, all that's calmed down too. I don't have to feel that way. And so um, people comment on how humble I seem a lot of the time now, and, and it's genuine. It's not like there, I think there were times where I would kind of pretend to be humble. <laughs> right. Are you noticing how humble I am? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. But I also want to say, you know, 
I had all these feelings of failure and also worried about the perception of it. But I actually feel like uh, that whole experience of going through it and being by myself and doing this work was a huge success for me in my life. Say more about that. Well, as I say, I, I, I think we're here to learn to heal all this stuff and and to have the courage to do it. And uh, it was probably the scariest thing I've ever done. I mean, that may sound like I'm a wimp, but... Um, I think you're not alone in that. Setting out on my own that way and leaving, you know, at times quite a comfortable marriage and... Uh, uh, and, and really trying to to go to the pain that I've tried to avoid most of my life. Um, that all feels, I feel very proud of having done all that. And I don't want to give the impression that, I, that I'm a totally self-actualized person now or any of that, but I, I feel like I still have a lot more to do and, and there's a long road and I hope a long life. And... <laughs> Uh, but having, I, I, I can say that it would have been easier, a lot easier to just kind of coast along. Right. You're really redefining it for you as an act of courage. Yeah. 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 Dick, we are going to have to stop. I want to thank you so much for being my guest on Safe Space. It's been such a pleasure to have you. You're very welcome, Anne. All right. We'll talk again. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Dr. Anne at Safe Space on WMPG. I've been talking to Dick Schwartz about the legacy of his divorce and how he worked with his own feelings of worthlessness um, as a part of his healing and recovery to the point that he now sees it as an act of courage. If you have a request or a suggestion for a future topic, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. Next week, tune into Safe Space on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison.